Welcome to Near Death Experience Podcast. I'm Chaz Hathaway. We're going to read today from uh, a couple samples from the Near Death Experiences um, shared, or a couple of them shared in uh, Penny Sartori's book called Wisdom of Near Death Experiences How to Understand NDEs Can Help Us Live. And uh, we'll go ahead and dive right in with part of the experience of Marie Claire. She says, I became ill with meningitis and was sent to the hospital, where I stayed for a month. I remember being in the most terrible pain, like my head was being crushed and not liking the bright lights. I was put on a drip and then felt myself falling, and I pinched my hand to see if I was dreaming. I was not. Suddenly, I was in what felt like a dark tunnel, traveling at enormous speed, and at the end was a brilliant golden light which didn't hurt my eyes. When I reached the end, I saw my family and patients, I used to be a nurse, all standing with beautiful smiles and open arms, enveloping me with such love. It was amazing. Even our family pets had died years early, or years before were welcoming, welcoming me. Some patients who had had amputations before they died, but now they had limbs and were walking. A voice which came into my head asked me if I wanted to remain with them or return back to where I'd come from. I remember very clearly I said, Oh goodness, I'd love to stay, but first I must return to tidy my bedroom. I'm a children's nanny and I'd left books on the floor before I collapsed. Suddenly, I felt myself being pulled back very rapidly by what looked like a silver cord, a very fine one. And then I was screaming in pain because I was woken up by doctors and nurses. I told them, why didn't you leave me alone? I was blissfully happy to be free from pain. Their response shocked me. They said, but you had died. We saved your life. And I felt terribly guilty having shouted at them, not appreciating what had happened to me. Of course, once I was on the road to recovery, I was grateful for my life being saved, and I've never looked back. Since I died, I became a spiritualist, and I'm not afraid to die. I know for certain this, is, this life is one of many, and we meet our loved ones eventually. All, also, it's made me a better person, and try to do at least five kind things a day for other people. I love helping friends and family, and I give most of my salary to others who need it much more than I do. Whoever spoke to me on the other side spoke with such love. It made me cry just thinking about it once I recovered. I shall never forget the love and kindness when I came back. It's something I've never experienced since. Hopefully when my time comes, I'll meet the same people I saw before and more. Also, the colors were very different than those here on Earth. I can't tell you the colors because I've never seen them before. Just that they were absolutely stunning. The flowers were really glorious too. Mostly white and green grass looked like green velvet. It's hard to explain. Sometimes, just sometimes, I wish I could travel back because my precious twin sister passed away five years ago. How I miss her. 
We were so very close, and I loved her dearly. I hope this is not being been too boring for you, but it's absolutely true, and as I've mentioned, I'm not scared of dying. I know it's just pure love on the other side, wherever it is in God's universe. That's the end of that sample. <laughs> I, I love that the reason she goes back, <laughs> she she's like, I just got to go tidy my room real quick. And then, boom, she's back. And, you know, now she's still on Earth. I don't know when this was published. Maybe she's died since then. I don't know. But but I, <laughs> I just get a kick out of that. Let me go tidy my bedroom first, and then I'll come back. And then I can come back. And, you know, it kind of illustrates the point that it seems from what people have said that for the spirits on that side, sometimes it is just like a brief run back. You know, they may uh, see her just zoom back and then zoom back in their presence again. It may literally seem that fast to them. I don't know. I don't know. I can't say. Certainly time hasn't the meaning that it has here. So, so kind of fun there. It, it's... Uh, Interesting that she became a spiritualist after she got back. And then she became a much kinder person. She uh, devoted her life to kindness, really, and, and says she do, tries to do at least five things, five acts of kindness a day, which is very cool. Um, here's another one in the same book, Wisdom of Near-Death Experiences. I, too, have had a near-death experience. It happened nearly 30 years ago, and the whole thing stands out as clearly in my memory as if it happened yesterday. I believe that it has nothing to do with hallucinations or medication. I had a pulmonary embolism in hospital after major surgery. I could neither move nor shout for the nurse. It was as if someone had stabbed me in the back, and all the air had gone from my lungs. I distinctly remember a nurse looking at me, then running to my bed with oxygen and mask, putting the mask on my face. Then I saw two doctors rush to my bed. One was sounding my chest with a stethoscope, and the other was pressing hard on the veins in my legs. I found out later that he was looking for a DVT. I still couldn't breathe, and the pain in my upper back was awful. Suddenly I felt completely calm and felt myself gliding to the corner of the room at ceiling height. I rushed through a tunnel in the corner of the room and was full of bright, the, and it was full of bright lights and vivid colors. And the, at the front was my grandmother, smiling as she, had, as she always did when alive. Behind my grandmother were other members of, uh, my, of our family and friends, all smiling and welcoming me. Suddenly I had to go back to my family and two young sons. I hovered and looked down at my hospital bed. I could see myself lying there on a drip and oxygen. My eyes were closed, but the two doctors and now three nurses were no longer rushing about. Two days later I woke up. My husband informed me of the time span. With tubes everywhere and acute pain in my lungs, I did not have the pain either while floating above the bed or in the tunnel. I began to recover, and then about four days later, I had another breathing attack. So the person then goes on uh, with some more medical details and so forth, which I'll skip. 
but then they continue. I would like to add that my experience changed my life. I have spent a lot of my life as a carer for family and friends, and also in my employment with the blind. Before that near-death experience, I was quite self-centered and an introvert, so I can say the experience did a lot of good for me. One of the first people I looked after was my mother, who passed away 18 months after my near-death experience. 20 years later, I nursed my father through terminal cancer, so perhaps I was saved because I had work to do. That's the end of the experience. I'm, I'd like to talk more about this uh, having work to do aspect. But before we do, let me share one more here. This is um, also from the book Wisdom of Near-Death Experiences by Dr. Penny Sartori, or Sartori, that's S-A-R-T-O-R-I. Okay, and this is the experience, and it looks like uh, it's um, an anonymous one, but uh, they said, I am writing with reference to an experience I had whilst in hospital in summer 1995. I had been taken into hospital with suspected appendicitis. An operation was scheduled for the morning, and they gave me a morphine injection as I was, by this time, doubled up in a lot of pain. To cut a long story short, it was over 18 hours before I was taken down to a theater and just felt like letting go. They thought that I, or they thought they had me under an anesthetic, but I became aware of my stomach, aware that my stomach was being painted on something cold like fluid, which alarmed me, but I couldn't do anything. The next thing was a bit strange. I felt no pain at all during this experience. I felt as though I was in midair, a couple of feet above a hospital trolley bed, looking down at a baby. And I couldn't figure out who it was until it just came to me that it was me. When the, clear, when the figure instantly changed to an adult body, which I didn't recognize until then I realized it was me. I then felt as though I was in a dark place and went towards a figure which had long hair and a beard, but with a broad forehead. This figure was looking at a negative photo, black on white, similar to the Turin Shroud, but a whiter forehead, which had a very soft light behind it. The figure seemed to be much larger than me, and I seemed to rise towards it, but I couldn't see anything below his shoulders, similar to a child against an adult. The light being, the figure seemed to be a very soft white light. Uh, the, the light being, the figure seemed to be a very soft white light, and even though I couldn't see anybody else, I was sure I was being led on the way back and I just seemed to float along. It was a very calm experience. Apart from looking into the other cavern on the way back after seeing the figure, but I am still not sure what was in there. I could only see the head and shoulders, and I felt at peace, but the figure looked to its right, and I drifted off to my left. 
with the feeling that it wasn't my time and I had things to do. The only thing that alarmed me, if that's the right word, was when I was going back down a large tunnel or something like that, was when I looked off to my left into an opening of another large cavern where I, where all I could see was a mist across the floor. But it seemed to have lots of sharp points sticking up through the mist, which made me alarmed. I felt that I was being led back all the time, but didn't see by whom. The next thing, I felt as though I was back in my body, in the worst pain I have ever known, and was physically struggling with someone who was moving me bodily, but everything was black and I couldn't see anything, only hear voices. I felt something strange attacked attached to my right side and grabbed it, and then I heard my mother's voice telling me not to grab the pipe and to let them put me in the bed. It was her voice that I recognized and let them move me from the trolley into the ward bed, even though the pain was unbearable. The pipe was a drain from my wound in my stomach to a bag for the fluid, as it seemed. When they finally opened me up, the the appendix had burst a long time before, and it had turned into peritonitis. I kept asking what had happened, as I knew I had experienced something, but all the surgeon would would say that was that I had been pretty serious, and they had to wash my insides with out with antibiotics, as I was so ulcerated with the parent peritonitis infection, I just wanted to be left alone as I felt ill. I was given over 20 morphine jabs to ease the pain during the week. During the first three days, uh, every time that I closed my eyes, I could see a vivid green tunnel off to my left in the wall and felt that all I had to do was to let go because of the constant pain. I stopped having the tunnel visions as my temperature dropped on the fourth day. When I finally managed to get out of bed, After the fourth day, I noticed my chest looked very red, and I couldn't understand why. It was when I mentioned this later to my mother, she explained that she, they had probably shocked me with the paddles, if there had been paddles during the operation, which she thought that there had been. I was a practicing Catholic before this happened, and I'm not frightened to die as I know this is all just a stepping stone to something better, which is what I tell people. I'm now 46 and have had a son since, but I don't think he was the reason I came back. I know the doctors said, just said the experience might have been the morphine, but I know it was something different. I fly, I fly helicopters and have rescued people, but I still don't feel that I have reached the point which I feel that I was sent back for yet. I sometimes wonder if I'm doing the right job for me now, which is strange considering how keen I was to fly before this experience. I have mentioned to some rich individuals who I have come across through my flying that they should set up a charity and that would respond faster to help the sick and children in need around the world. And I feel this has something to do with what I know I was sent back for, I am more interested in the spiritual side of life than I was before, and always said at the time of 
the operation. Anybody younger or older would have gone through the pain as I felt like giving up at times myself. I know I now feel everything in life is fate. And no, it's just a stepping stone to something much better. The strange thing that I still think about is that the being I saw, it was like a negative film image with a soft light behind it. There was no speech, but the thoughts were passed to me somehow. I know it was real. I know, or I don't think my near-death experience was anything to do with the morphine either, as I had 20 injections through the week, and the out-of-body experience only happened at the start of my stay in the hospital. I don't know if this experience resembles anyone else's with the negative image I saw, but thought I would share it with you. Good luck with your work. That's the end of the experience. So I want to talk a little bit about this. Uh, this person said that when they came out of it, when they recovered, since they've recovered, they felt this draw towards something. I have heard this from many near-death experiencers. And it's kind of understandable if you have a near-death experience and you're told there's something you need to go back for and then you're sent back. You're going to have that draw because, you know, you heard it from heavenly beings that you're back for a reason. Now I need to find out what that is. And some are even told you need to go back and you need to write a book and you need to teach people about what you saw. And they're told that's what your purpose is. And wouldn't that be nice to just have heaven tell you what your purpose is? But whatever. Apparently we're not supposed to know, but are supposed to be led by our spirit slowly to it somehow. Whatever. <laughs> but it's interesting to me that people who have no part of their experience that hints that there is a specific and important reason for them to be returning back that they still feel that, they still sense that. Sometimes they can just be, you know, floating over their body and then back in their body, and then they will, for the rest of their life, or at least for the next several years or whatever, until they figure out what it is, have this sense of needing to be doing something, a kind of an antsiness about uh, needing to be accomplishing what they came here to do. And I have heard it said, and I have found it to be true for myself, if it, if it is true, um, that when you begin to study near-death experiences and spiritual experiences and, and trying to understand these kinds of things, that you will begin to have that as well. I'll give that to you as a warning if you haven't had it yet. Um, a sense of, I need to be doing something. Now, many of you are probably doing your life purpose, and so you may not have that sense that there's something else. But I have had it, and I have had it pretty strong for the past few years, and it seems to be increasing with, as time goes by. And so I'm hoping to come across it. Who knows, maybe this podcast is part of it. I don't know. I really cannot tell. Um, but I feel this drive towards something, and I keep trying different things and, you know, kind of testing the water with different ideas and so forth. And whatever one sticks, I'll stick with. You know, whatever one feels like this is why I'm on earth. Now, I'm a family guy. I have six children and a beautiful wife who I adore. And so I am confident that my family is part of my purpose for being here. 
But if it was my only purpose, then why would I feel such a draw still? Why would I still feel like there's something I'm supposed to be doing? I think there's more, and I don't know what it is yet. So if you're feeling that, it could have to do with this. Something about either having this kind of experience or studying these kind of experiences puts, I'm guessing it's that it's putting the spirit in an alignment or a vibration or a frequency, something to be prepared to receive a direction. Now, if you're like me, a religious guy, um, you've been seeking direction all your life, but lately it's felt like more. It's felt like not just a drive to, you know, what should I do now? What should I do next? What should I do today? But rather a drive toward what should I put my life toward becoming? What should I be devoting my life to? What should be my life's work? Basically, I'm wondering, what is my purpose here on earth? Why am I here? I want to know. And I would love to talk to more ND years about this, uh, near-death experiencers, about this directly and say, you know, to, especially to those who feel like they found their life purpose, to ask them, does that feeling go away once you have it? And here's, here's an analogy that I have for it, because I was 25 when I got married, and where I live, um, that's not young to get married like it is in much of the world. Many people would say, what, you got married before 30, you know? <laughs> but uh, for where I'm from, 21 is a very common age to get married. 22 is probably more common. 23 is probably, you know, most common, and then... It starts going down from there, 24, less common, 25, less, 26, less, you know, uh, and going on up. And, of course, people get married at every age, but that seems to be the perception, you know, is that early 20s is when you get married. But anyway, the point is, is that I was actively searching from about age 21. That's when I set out to find my spouse, and I wanted to find my soul mate, if you will, and so forth. And, and it took me five years to do it. Well, I remember during that time, the sense of, I don't want to say loneliness, because I didn't always feel lonely. I had a wonderful family that I was living with, uh, that, uh, that I grew up with, and they were very dear to me. We were a very close family, and we did just about everything together, except, you know, my college and and uh, experiences around college that led me to finding my wife. <laughs> but everything else we did together, and but still, and they could relate to this as I talked to them, this feeling of longing, this feeling of like, there's someone out there for me. There's someone there. I hope there's someone there because I feel a gap in my soul uh, that that I just want to fill with somebody who who is going to be um, somebody I can love and care for and that will love and care for me. You know that any of you who have been single, um, I'm going to say you could, I think you can feel it as a teenager, but, but a lot of the teenage feelings, um, you kind of in the back of your mind know that you're not ready yet. And so, and so there's some reservation there, but, uh, 
But as an adult, when it's happening, it's kind of like I'm losing opportunity. My life is disappearing before my eyes. I'm fading into the oblivion. It's kind of what it feels like a little bit. And there's this longing for someone and knowing there's somebody there. It's this kind of dull ache. And I don't want to sound like I was desperate. I wasn't. I was happy. I was having a great time. I had a job that I loved. I was going to college, studying music. And I had a lot of good friends, and we had a great time together. I was going to activities, just in, heavily involved with life and, and just having a great time. But there was that little thing in the background that was always there. Some, somebody's out there for me. Somebody's out there for me. The reason I say that is because when I met my wife and we started getting serious, that feeling went away. It went away entirely such that after we got married, there was no trace of it. You know, prior to marriage, it was, there was still a little bit of, oh, I hope this is going to last. I hope this is going to last. And once we got married, we, we just, we were head over heels for each other and we still are today. And it's gone, that, that longing feeling. And I remember it. I can distinctly remember it because for several years I felt it, but, but I don't feel it anymore. And, uh, but I do feel this longing, this need to be doing something, whatever that life work, whatever it is that I'm here for, I want to be doing it. I'm in the last year of my thirties now. I'm going to be turning 40 in a year. And, you know, I just turned 39 this month and, and yeah, that's still young to a lot of people, but to those who are, you know, in their early twenties and trying to you know, really dive into their career and, you know, make something of their lives, 39 feels late. And I don't know what I'm going to be when I grow up is what it kind of feels like a little bit. You know, I, I have things that I've done that I'm really proud of and I'm excited about, but I still feel that drive. There's something I need to be doing that I'm not doing now. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping once I find what that thing is, or at least come, you know, do things enough that I hit the thing that it will subside just like the uh, longing feeling for someone disappeared when I got married and it hasn't returned since so I have hopes that there is something like that with this uh, longing to find my purpose in life and I'm confident that I've done some of it but I don't think it's one thing and I think there's some big things that are part of it. And there's probably small things part of it. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe mine's a very small one. But then why do I feel this drive? And I'd be curious. How many of you feel that drive? How many of you feel like there's something you need to be doing? And also, how many of you feel like you are doing what you came here to earth to do? I would love to hear from you. And I would love to hear how you found what you were looking for. And also, if you felt that longing before you had it. So, with that, I encourage you to, uh, to contact me. Questions. I love answering questions. And don't be afraid to ask potentially offensive questions. I'm not the kind of person that gets offended easily. So, you know, send questions. Send your experiences. Send... Uh, you know, if you would like to be interviewed, I would love to hear from you. If you have 
if you know of somebody who had an experience or you know can link me to something where I can read an experience I'd love to share it um, I get these like I said from all over the internet this one is from a book called wisdom of near-death experiences how understanding NDEs can help us live by Penny Dr. Penny Sartori and let's explore this together because this is not something that I feel like I am a master of or some kind of expert on. I feel like I'm a student of near-death experiences and all that it entails. And the more I learn, the more questions I have. And I would love to hear your questions because every time I find, find answers to my questions, it's like this part of me is just filled. It's like something is, is touched. And if you have questions, even if I don't know the answer, I would love to project those questions out for people to answer because I'm sure that among all of us, uh, all of the listeners of this show, that there will be some who will have some insights on your question. So with that, thank you again so much, all of you, for listening. Mm-hmm.